I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. We hope you enjoy this episode on angels, demons, and their battle that manifests in spiritual warfare. It is almost the season of fall, and so I decided that I was going to go out and try and catch some fog. Missed. Yep, I missed. (laughs) Um, Hey everyone, as you can probably hear, it is just me, just Matt, in studio tonight. Um, And it's probably because of the nature of our episode. Um, Our episode today, episode 27, is on spiritual warfare. And anytime you talk about spiritual warfare, the reality of... Uh, demons and angels and their battle, there's always some kind of difficulty that comes with preparing for that and leading up to it. And part of that difficulty was that Jenna and I could not find a time to get together and a lot of different things were going on this past week or two. And so continue to pray for us as we, um, you know, bear the weight of uh, what the devil's trying to do to get us to not do an episode like this and continue this venture. Um, But we hope it's beneficial to you. So before we get into it, I want to share with you my joy junk and Jesus Uh, For this episode, my joy, I would say that my joy um, is rest. I have not had a lot of rest, and today I got to um, just have a lot of downtime. I got to talk on the phone with a friend for a long time, and I'm I'm not a big phone talker. Uh, And so that was actually really nice to be able to do that and and have a really intentional, deep conversation with someone about um, things that were really important. And so I really was grateful for that. My junk is that Jenna's not here, and I miss Jenna. Jenna and I are best friends, and now we both have babies, and it's just harder and harder to find that intentional time to just catch up, um, apart from the fact that we also have to plan and record a podcast, and so a lot of our time together is devoted to that. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I, I wish we had more time. So, um, But my Jesus moment, I've just had a lot of people this week um, tell me, um, all almost on the same day, actually, um, that they just happened to listen to the podcast and it really uh, came to them in a moment of need, a moment of um, difficulty or a moment where they really needed guidance and that they were just really benefited by it. And I'm just so in awe of what God is continuing to do through this podcast. And um, I just thank you all so much for your prayers and for your support. If, if you like this podcast, if it's something that you enjoy, something that's helped you, would you please share it with someone? Um, share it with someone that you think might benefit from it. Maybe it was a particular episode. Um, maybe you can go back if you didn't listen from the beginning and, and find some of those, those really good um, foundational episodes that we had um, and just share them with someone. Um, you know, Leave us a rating or a review if you haven't yet. All those things help people find this podcast. So if it's been beneficial to you, I pray that you'll do that so it can be beneficial to more people. And so thank you for all the ways that you support us. Um, so let's get into it. Spiritual warfare. Um, maybe you're hearing that word and you're like, okay, I don't know if this is the episode for me because I don't really know what that is. Um, spiritual warfare is one of my favorite things to talk about because it deals with the reality of angels and demons and the spiritual and supernatural world, you know, kind of clashing with our earthly life and the state of our soul and what's going on with us internally, what's going on around us that we can't even see on a daily basis, the battle between good and evil that's constantly being fought for each one of our souls. All of that has to do with spiritual warfare. And so I guess a good way you would classify or define spiritual warfare is any effect 
of the battle between good and evil in your own life. Any effect of that that you are feeling or experiencing. I know it's a very general or broad definition. So it manifests in a lot of different ways. Uh, manifests in maybe in terms of anxiety, of spiritual dryness, uh, depression, um, even as as far as something things like sleep paralysis, um, having uh, a sense that there's a darkness or a fog around you, having an aversion to things that are religious or things that are uh, holy, people that are holy having um, serious doubt or serious um, struggle with sin or temptation or addiction, all of those things can be forms of spiritual warfare uh, and, and even more. And so I want to talk about that tonight because odds are one of those things might apply to you or has applied to you at one point. And you're going to get to a point where you're going to be cruising along in your faith and everything's great and then all of a sudden everything gets thrown up in the air because the devil is real. And when the devil sees a light go off somewhere in the cosmos, somewhere on earth, his main job, even though he knows he's fighting a losing battle that Jesus has already won, he wants to throw out, snuff out as many lights as possible on his way to defeat. Um, like it says in scripture, the devil is like a, a, a prowling lion looking for a soul to devour. It's the same type of concept. So recognizing that reality and how can we be more aware of it, be educated on the nature of the spiritual realm, and also equip ourselves in times of spiritual warfare to deal with it, to avoid it, to not let things that are evil or demonic affect us as easily, to not open doors to those areas. Um, there's a lot of different things that um, I'm going to go over in this episode and a lot of different things I want to cover. Uh, and so we might have to expound upon some of these in future episodes. But what I'd like to do <clears throat> is talk a little bit about angels, talk a little bit about demons, talk a little bit about um, other spiritual things that you may have heard about culturally or like what the church believes about those things, and then really talk about how all those things interact and might cause spiritual warfare, how that manifests, and especially then how, how we can respond to it. And so there's going to be a lot of scriptural references to these, um, the, the things that the church believes or teaches about angels and demons. I'm not going to read a lot of them or any of them um, for the most part because a lot of them are anecdotes or very little details um, and it would take a long time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and summarize them, but I'm going to put all of the scriptural references uh, in sections in the show notes. That way, if you really are curious about like, oh, wow, I had no idea that this was in scripture, that we believe stuff about this. Um, then you can go and find where that's sourced. Now, as Catholics, we believe in the reality of angels, the reality of demons, the reality of the devil, and that those two entities, the angels and the demons, the devil, you know, and his evil army and Jesus and St. Michael and the angelic army and, and God and Jesus, you know, the Trinity are all at battle at war. And that Jesus dying on the cross he beat death. He beat evil. He beat the consequence of evil, um, at least in terms of allowing us an opportunity to repent from it that could keep us from the eternal consequences of evil, which is hell. And so the devil has already lost. He knows he's in a losing battle. And so he is, as I said, trying to take as many people down with him as possible. So that's basically what we believe. However, there are a lot of things that have been expounded upon over time that we have evidence of in scripture that certain theolo theologians have expounded upon and that certain um, Catholic bishops, priests, figures over time have been revealed or have claimed about 
the angels and the demons, that I want to share all of that with you. Not all of this is stuff that like, if you're, you know, a card carrying Catholic that you have to immediately adhere to it and believe it and profess it as absolute truth. A lot of these things are just ways to characterize or categorize um, the different realities of angels and demons and a way for us to kind of hierarchically know the purposes of them. Um, and so, I'll do my best to explain where they come from when those things do happen that are outside of, you know, the actual doctrinal tradition. But all of it is things that we are um, allowed to believe as Catholics, that it's acknowledged. You know, you don't have to believe this isn't a doctrine. You know, the, the reality of angels and demons, yes, we do believe that. Like, we have to believe that because that's the reality of where we, of, you know, the world we live in. But in terms of, you know, the nine choirs of angels and what each choir is responsible for and, you know, maybe different names for certain um, princes of hell or things that have been revealed throughout salvation history or throughout uh, church tradition, those things are more like expansions of realities that we believe in and you can believe in those details you can say like well we don't know for sure um so just be aware of that so if you're if you're listening to this and be like this sounds kind of like a sci-fi novel or fantasy you know that that might throw you off a little bit to think like oh man the church really believes some wild things you know this isn't spelled out anywhere in detail um in a doctrinal way it's more something things that have been expounded upon by theologians over thousands of years and if you go to a Catholic university, if you ever take a, a course in, you know, or a major in Catholicism or in theology, you can take courses in angelology and demonology and learn about even more of what I'm going to get into um, on this episode. So I just want to preface it with all of that. Um, and so let's get into it. So when you think about the spiritual realm, what do you think of? You know, I, I the first thing I think of is ghosts. You know, my dad loves ghost hunter shows and he loves sci-fi and really old bad, terrible sci-fi movies and moderns, you know, like Sharknado, like that's right up my dad's alley, you know? And so, um, I don't know how many of you believe in ghosts or like the idea or have experienced some type of spiritual reality. Um, and that's, I like to start there because that's something that even if people are like religious, um, but they don't necessarily like have an idea of like, well, I don't know about angels. I don't know about demons, but most people are like, oh, but I have the story about what I think was a ghost. You know, it's, it's just this unique thing that we all tend to believe for the most part. And there are skeptical people who don't believe in any of that, but it's, it's unique to me how many people don't acknowledge the existence outright of say angels and demons, but we'll totally talk about ghosts. Um, and so as Catholics, if you think about what a ghost would be, you know, we don't necessarily believe that a ghost is a reality. So, for instance, there's no such thing as like a spirit that is like a human spirit that's confined to Earth permanently. Like, that's just not how the spiritual realm works. Like, you know, you die um, and you eat, you go to your particular judgment before Jesus and then you either go to hell or you go to purgatory on the way to heaven and a very rare amount of super saintly holy people just go straight to heaven. And so those are the realities that we're dealing with. And so there's no reality in which you would just be shoved down to earth again. Um, and so, but there is a way we can understand that idea of ghosts. And so the theologian Peter Kreft, he has this um, characterization of the different spiritual realities that you and I might experience. And there are three different kinds. One, we might experience some type of supernatural uh, connection or entity uh, that is very positive and beautiful. That is what he would, and we would in the Catholic tradition, characterize as something angelic or something divine. So either you had a vision of God or you encountered some type of angel or, um, or one of, yeah, some type of angelic body. The second type is something that's very dark, very scary, very evil, wants to hurt you. 
And obviously that's something we would characterize as evil, demonic, you know, Satan or one of his demons. And the third is kind of where people have this idea of about ghosts. The third are kind of like these wispy, sad spirits or spiritual, you know, uh, entities. And uh, Peter Kreft says that um, we can understand that those could be the souls who are in purgatory. Now, we might do another episode on purgatory because one of those Catholic things that isn't talked about a lot, but it is a logical reality because we are sinners and even though Christ died for our sins, we still have the consequence of sin on our soul that needs to be cleansed um, through our own repentance. And when we die through a purification or purging before we can enter the perfection of heaven. And we understand that place as purgatory. And so a lot of cultures believe um, unanimously almost around the world, especially in native cultures or very aboriginal type of cultures, that when you die, there's some kind of journeying back through your life that needs to happen. And so that's my own kind of summary. Peter Kreft says that this may be some type of reality where the souls in purgatory are attached or re-experiencing traumatic or difficult moments of their life as part of their purgation. And so they are attached or seemingly attached to this place. And it may be on earth for us 200, 300 years. And so we think, oh, they're attached there. That ghost has always been there. That spirit has always been there. Um, but in reality, in the in divine time, you know, time is only exists in, in, in life and in, in earth, you know, in the divine realm, time doesn't exist in the same way. And so it could be, you know, a blink of an eye in purgatory. And so that's how we can understand those. So we're not really going to get into the souls in purgatory. We're not going to get into, you know, um, a lot of, like the saints and, and, and other, um, the other things that dwell in the supernatural or divine or, you know, realms, um, heaven and hell. We're going to talk exclusively about angels and demons. And so I want to talk about both of those and just characterize kind of what we believe or can possibly know about both of those categories, why they're at war and why, uh, how we can seek the good in um, the angels and how that can be protect, um, protection for us and how we can avoid the bad and recognize the evil when it um, manifests in terms of the demonic activity or the presence of Satan himself. Um, so let's do angels first, because let's start with happy, you know, let's start with the good stuff. Um, and so we believe that uh, Jesus, um, that God, God in his full Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, at the beginning of time, created everything and the angels. He created the angels before he created man. Um, and in creating the angels, there is a way that we can believe that he created them in the sequence of creation because each one of them is believed to have some type of responsibility with creation. And so maybe with each phase, the angels that were, you know, responsible for that part of creation were also created or they were all created at once. We don't, we don't know, but we know at some point the angels were all created before man was created and God revealed to the angels his plan for humanity, that he wanted to create mankind and that it was out of love and that he wanted to give them free will and a choice and all these different things. And so he gave the angels that same free will. And he said, um, you know, I'm guessing what he said, you know, th this isn't recorded anywhere, but <laughs> um, God offered the angels an opportunity to exercise their free will. However, the difference with the angels was it was a one-time chance. You know, he revealed to them the whole reality of what was going to happen throughout, you know, the course of salvation history, um, or the, just his plan for humanity. And the angels got to decide, you know, do they want to be in union with him or do they not? And so those that 
remained in union with him, their free will has been permanently set in stone to be messengers in God's kingdom, in God's army, um, and have a permanent role within his plan for creation and for humanity. And those who rejected that plan out of pride, led principally by Satan, who is sometimes also referred to as Lucifer, um, they didn't see why mankind was so important. You know, um, they were, there was a jealousy there. Pride caused the fall of what's considered um, from the book of Revelations, uh, Revelation, uh, a, a third of the angels rebelled against this plan. And their goal, even though they could not overcome um, the power of God and because he's omnipotent, you know, and the power of the rest of the angels, their plan was then to tear down humanity as a result because they didn't agree with, with God's plan or idea for what he wanted to do with humanity. And so um, that's how we have these two teams, you could say, you know. And so <clears throat> the angels... They are categorized in nine choirs, um, and that is a kind of a hierarchical thing. They both have different responsibility. Every choir has a different responsibility, and we see evidence um, and references to, I believe, almost every single one of these choirs as they continue to be named today in Scripture, except for maybe two or three. Um, and so the highest choir is the seraphim, um, and that's in like that song, seraphim and cherubim, the... Uh, what song is it? Hail, holy queen enthroned above, oh Maria. Well, now I don't remember the line that has the uh, triumph, all ye seraphim. You know the song. Yeah. So anyways, um, so the seraphim, they're the highest choir. And they basically, their job is to sing the praises of God. They they know God most passionately, most uh, with most clarity. They're referred to, the name seraphim means burning ones, as if their worship, their love, their connection to God burns brightest. And it is believed, I've heard this about either seraphim or cherubim, the top two choirs, but that Lucifer came from one of those choirs. And most of what I've read says that Lucifer was a seraphim. <clears throat> so he's part of that highest order of the angels. Um... <clears throat> That highest order, we see evidence of in, in Isaiah, the call of Isaiah. He has this vision um, in, I believe it's chapter 6 of Isaiah, where he sees the seraphim, and they're characterized as having six wings, uh, two that cover their faces, two wings that cover their feet, and two for flying. Um, and it's interesting, if you look up what a lot of these different choirs of angels are characterized as, they're not like the just anthropomorphic two-winged type of entities that we commonly see or believe angels depicted as. They're, some of them are very bizarre type of depictions. It's really interesting. So I want to encourage you to maybe go and find some pictures um, after you listen to this podcast of what these different um, choirs of angels look like. But So we got seraphim, then we have the cherubim, um, and they... Um, the name cherubim means fullness of wisdom. And so they're part of one of those top choirs. Um, they are more manlike in appearance and double winged. Uh, and they're believed to be the guardians of God's glory. Um, they're symbolized as the attendants in the apocalypse in Revelation chapter four through six. Um, and it's believed that they're characterized as having four faces. So they have a face of a man, a face of an ox, a face of a lion, and a face of an eagle. And this was later adopted as the symbol of the four evangelists. So Matthew is the the lion, or no, it's Matthew is the man. Um, no, 
Matthew is the lion. Just kidding. Matthew is the man. Mark is the lion. Um, Luke is the ox and John is the eagle. Um, and so, uh, and that's because of how Jesus is depicted in each one of those gospels. But that was adopted later from this characterization of what the seraphim, these, um, you know, heavenly, this heavenly choir of angels is characterized in the book of Revelation. Third, we have the thrones. Um, the thrones, their job is to contemplate God's power and judgment. They symbolize his judicial power. And it's believed that they, um, they're of pure humility, peace, and submission. Like they're, they're beings of perfect justice. And they reside in areas of the cosmos where material form begins to take shape. Um, the lower choir of angels, it's, be, it's believed in some uh, explanations of these choirs, that the lower choir of angels, they need to go to the thrones to access God. Like they're they're the the avenues for God's justice for his decision making. They kind of are his, you know, guardians in that sense. Next is the dominions. And just as their name says, they're the angels of leadership. So they relegate different duties among the other choirs of angels. And so they make known God's commands. They kind of command all the the lower rungs of of angels. Then there's the virtues. Um, the virtues, they are characterized as the spirits of motion. So they, um, basically they're in charge of, um, the elements. Um, they're sometimes called the shining ones. Um, they govern nature. They control like the seasons, the stars, the moon, um, the sun, like all these different aspects of our universe. Um, that's what the virtues command, especially all those things that you would look at and think were very, you know, beautiful. So they pretty much run all those different, you know, the heavenly bodies, um, Below the virtues are the powers, um, just like their name. They're like the, the fighting angels. They, um, they are warrior angels. They fight against evil. They defend uh, the cosmos and humans. Um, they're also called potentates, um, and they fight against any evil spirits that want to bring chaos to human beings. Um, the chief of the powers is, has sometimes been named, um, you know, Samael or Kamael, um, as his name. And he's actually an angel of the darkness. Um, and so like there is an angel that governs or is, is, you know, the power over the areas of darkness, because that's where the, the evil, um, you know, the fallen angels, the demons can, can enter, you know, our realm or, um, our world. Um, so you got seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, and then more familiar names, archangels. This name basically means chief or leading angel. And these are the ones that are mentioned most frequently in scripture. Um, and we have names of three of them in our, um, in our Catholic translation of scripture. And those are Michael, Gabriel, and, or Gabriel, and um, Raphael. Michael is the angel um, that we see in Revelation. Um, and I believe he also appears um, in, um, oh no, it's Gabriel. So yeah, in the, in the book of Revelation, he's the one that defeats the serpent, um, the devil that comes out of the sea. Um, and he is referred to as the captain of the angels. Some theologians or angelologists believe that Lucifer actually held that position. And then when he rebelled against God, Michael took on that role to, um, to battle against Satan uh, as captain of the angels. Um, it's also believed that St. Michael the Archangel was uh, Jesus's guardian angel. And it's also um, a tradition that when we die, the first actual thing that we will see is St. Michael, the archangel, leading us to our particular judgment right before Jesus Christ. Um, 
so that's pretty cool that like the first thing that we'll see is going to be like an awesome archangel. Um, they're considered God's messengers, um, but particularly in, in critical times in history and salvation. Um, so like angels, regular angels, which is the lowest choir, like they are, that is their job, like to be messengers, to be guardians of humanity, like most intimately. But archangels seem to have a very influential role in that area. So for instance, like Gabriel, Gabriel was, you know, the archangel that, um, was ministering to Daniel in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel in the, um, um, in those uh, prophecies. And I think he appeared in the furnace or sometimes people characterize that as Jesus himself. Um, and then Raphael, um, is in the book of Tobit, um, which is one of the old Testament, um, stories. Um, Gabriel also is the archangel that proclaims that Jesus is going to be born, uh, born to Mary. And so these are all like very important moments in salvation history. Um, so it is also, um, said in the book of Tobit, in uh, chapter 12 of book chapter 12 verse 15 Raphael says I am um, the angel Raphael one of the seven who stand before the throne of God and so it's commonly believed that there are seven archangels and then the eastern tradition a lot of them the other four are named but they have a lot of different names and the only one that's really shared in, in most lists is the name Uriel and then there are other names like Ramael or Ruel or you know there's all these other Samael like many other different names that there's no definitive list of the other four. But if you're ever curious about that in the Eastern tradition, they have a lot of lists of all seven. Uh, and you can even find figurines, um, in some like, um, Byzantine households or, um, Eastern Orthodox or other, um, rites within Catholicism where they accept those different, um, seven archangel names as, you know, a, a list, one particular list that they follow. And they have figurines that all, um, um, represent each one of the seven archangels. So those are the archangels. Um, below them is the principalities. Um, and the principalities, they care for earthly principalities, basically like cities, nations, kingdoms. Um, so just like every person has a guardian angel, principalities are believed to be like the guardians of places or areas, cities, things like that. Um, governing, you know, um, all those different areas, um, just as a, an angel would us. And then lastly, the, just the choir of angels, the lowest choir, they're closer, closest, sorry, they're closest to the material world and to us as humans. So they're the ones that deliver our prayers to God. Um, when God answers us and sends us messages, um, that's through the angels, um, angels, they have the ability to access any and all the other angels at the, at this, at any time. Um, they're always willing to assist us um, in any capacity, um, and they're they're all considered the guardian angels. Um, and so, most theologians believe that an angel is only one person's guardian angel for like eternity. So it's not like um, you're a guardian angel, and then when your person dies, you you um, get another human. You know, um, some people believe that that could be possible, but most things I've read um, characterize angels as you know, that is your guardian angel for eternity, um, which is really cool. So you have a very unique, um, maybe untapped potential relationship in your guardian angel. And I think sometimes people think that's like kind of like Catholic mythology in a sense, or like a Catholic legend, but you really do. You have a guardian angel and it's important to be praying and asking, um, asking for the intercession and the intervention of your guardian angel. I don't know how many of you have sat down and just said, guardian angel, like I give you permission to 
protect me. I give you permission to echo the prayers that I say or that I write, um, you know, to the Heavenly Father, to to before the feet of Mary so she can pray for me. You know, I don't know how often you, you invoke the name or the prayers of your guardian angel, but they're always with us, like this someone who's constantly with us. Um, so it's some, something that we, I think, need to be more aware of, especially as we talk about spiritual warfare, is this untapped reality that we have a spiritual protector in our guardian angel, and just to make sure that we are taking advantage of that. Um, so let's see, what else do I want to say about angels? There's this one... Um, place in the directory on popular piety in the liturgy, uh, one of the documents of the church in um, paragraph 216. This is under the heading devotion to the holy angels. And this is interesting because Jen and I have talked about this before personally, and she's probably going to have a different opinion about this. But I found this and I was curious to what she was going to say about it on the podcast, but she can't be with us. So, um, but I know other people have, have had this question. And this says the practice of assigning names to the holy angels should be discouraged, except in the cases of Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael, whose names are contained in Holy Scripture. Um, And so it would seem like the church is saying we shouldn't name our guardian angels. And the reason for that is not because the church doesn't want you to have a familiarity with your guardian angel, but because um, in... in, We see evidence of this in Scripture and in the way um, that God... um, ministers and reveals himself to humanity, anytime there's a a name that is changed or given, it's a sign of command or authority over that person. And only God has that authority over us and over each other and over the angels especially. And so if we're trying to name the angel, that can be, um, you know, interpreted as as a sense of trying to have command over it, which we don't, you know, we don't have that command over the angels. They will intercede for us. They will act on our behalf if we ask, um, but we don't have the power to control them. Um, So the catechism um, in paragraph 336 says this, and this is the last thing about angels. uh, From its beginning until death, human life is surrounded by their watchful care and intercession. Beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united in God. Um, So remember that reality, especially now that we're going to talk about this next section, which has to do with all the demons. Um, Remember that you have a guardian angel. And not only that, there are eight choirs of angels above them surrounding us, protecting our cities, our universe, the things that govern the laws of our universe, um, you know, that protect us from darkness. We, we constantly need to be asking for the intercession of the angels. Um, but some of those angels fell. Some of those angels rebelled against God and they did not lose their intelligence. They did not lose their ability to um, do supernatural things necessarily. It is believed that those abilities were somewhat corrupted or distorted, but that does not mean that they're less dangerous. Um, and so those fallen angels are who we characterize as Satan and his demons. Um, Satan, it comes from the word enemy. Um, and so it's often believed that Satan's real name or given angelic name was Lucifer. Um, there have been places where, um, you know, uh, there's a man named Peter Binsfield. He was a German bishop in the, the 16th century. He actually um, said that there were um, seven princes of hell. And each one represented a uh, one of the seven deadly sins. And Lucifer, um, he was the chief prince, and he represented pride, specifically because of his um, lack of understanding for the plan of humanity and wanting to reject God. Um, and so, 
The other ones are, uh, there may be names you've heard before. Um, Mammon, which is um, the prince of hell associated with greed. So when it says in scripture, um, you cannot have served both God and Mammon, um, this German bishop believed that that was, you know, also revealing the name of one of the demons that has to do with earthly greed, even though that also has to do with like a name for money. Um, Asmodeus, this is one I've heard before. I think it's listed somewhere in scripture or referred to um, in some theological writing. But Asmodeus is the um, prince of lust um, and anything that has to do with promiscuity. Um, Leviathan is the um, prince of envy. Beelzebub, that's a very common one, especially if you know the song Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, the uh, prince of gluttony. Um, Satan, which is interesting that they're separated on this list, um, but that's how he characterizes them, uh, Prince of Wrath, and then Belphegor, who is the Prince of Sloth. Um, but the most common ones I see are Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Asmodeus, with Satan just being a, um, uh, a name for enemy. Um, but really interesting stuff that these things are, um, revealed this way. So, something to be aware of that we are constantly battling the reality of there being darkness um, in this world. Um, so what are the types of ways that demons, Satan, um, can interact with us, can try and affect us? Um, and as I said before, this is when we really get into this category of spiritual warfare. When evil is trying to permeate our life, um, this can manifest in a lot of different ways. Anxiety, depression, sleep paralysis, um, a feeling of fog, confusion, aversion to the religious, um, very serious temptation or addiction, um, really struggling um, with discipline, with prayer, really having a spiritual dryness or just a lack of um, spirituality that seems to be things that are um, somewhat out of our control. Like we're, we're trying, we're putting an effort, we have a good heart or good nature, but there just seems to be like an attack, something coming from not just within ourselves. Um, so the important thing to note the demons and the angels, they cannot read our minds. And why is that important to know? Anytime you want to invoke the power or permission that you would like to give to your guardian angel, do it out loud. Pray those prayers out loud. And anytime you are praying against any type of evil, any type of presence of Satan or demonic activity, you want to make sure you're praying that out loud. And I'll get into that a little bit later um, when I talk about deliverance prayer and, and how to combat spiritual warfare. But that's something to be aware of. Um, you know, it could be something as simple like if you're, you know, experiencing a moment of where like you feel like you can't move, you're out of breath, like you woke up in the middle of the night, you feel like something's there. Something as simple as just thinking the name Jesus or saying the name Jesus, um, you know, can make a difference. Um, and it can, you know, immediately um, release you from whatever you're experiencing. However, in most cases, you want to try and make sure you say these things out loud and clearly. Some, you know, that's just the, the demons are very legalistic because they're created by God and by natural law and they obey God still. We see this in the gospel of Mark in chapter one, where Jesus cures the demoniac and, um, the demon says to Jesus, what are you to do with us? I know who you are, the Holy one of God. And so the demon in this situation is the person actually with the most faith in who Jesus is there. Most of the people don't know who, who Jesus really is yet, but the demon does. And he calls him out and Jesus says, be gone. And the demon obeys. And so that's a really interesting thing that like Jesus, Jesus is the son of God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is God. And so he 
God created the demons and he still has authority over them. So that might make you ask like, okay, why doesn't God just demolish the demons? Why doesn't he just get rid of them? Well, God, just like with evil in our world, respects our free will, our free choice, because if he didn't give us a choice to love him back, it wouldn't be real love. Just like if I forced my wife to love me, it wouldn't be real love. And so Jesus offered that loving opportunity to the angels. Some of them accepted, some of them rejected, and he respected their decision because he still loves his creation. Like God still loves Satan. He does. He doesn't, uh, you know, want him to succeed in any of his ventures of evil, obviously, but he is still a creation of God. And the same thing with us, you know, God still loves the evilest of humans because they are his creation. And he's not going to prevent them and try and control their lives because that would be inhibiting their free will. And if you don't give someone free will, they can't freely choose to love you or freely choose to repent. And so that's something to be, you know, aware of. So how do demons interact with us? How does demonic activity manifest? Um, there are, you know, f- four plus ways that this, um, that demonic activity can manifest. The highest of which being possession or a different form of possession, which I'll talk about, um, which are the most rare. The ones below that can be more common. Um, And so the most common, I think, is oppression. And this is really what you would characterize most of the things I listed as spiritual warfare as. Um, Serious anxiety, depression. um, And I'm not saying all anxiety and depression is caused by spiritual warfare. I mean, you know, these are things that are documentable, scientifically researched, that there are medications for. But I also have seen the effect and do believe in the effect that a lot of this increase is caused by demonic activity, manifestations, spiritual warfare, trauma that has led to the... Uh, opportunity for demons and evil to interact with people and kind of poison their minds in such a way that they don't realize it's happening and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So, but not all of it. I'm not saying like, you know, if you're, if you're experiencing severe anxiety or depression or any type of disorder in that sense, like it's just a demon, you know, plaguing you, um, you know, you may have just also a chemical imbalance in your brain that needs to be corrected. And so you should be seeking the therapy, the treatment, um, the community, the medication that you need as you discern and see fit. However, I would recommend to you to also take this seriously. I was actually talking to someone today about um, a form of therapy that's, I'm probably going to butcher the name of this, but I think it's called Splanka. Correct me if I'm wrong, but some therapists are trained in this, that it's basically when all those other things fail, medication, counseling, um, all different types of therapies and treatments, there's this last kind of line of defense that comes from the Christian tradition, which has to do with the supernatural reality of things that might be happening in a person's life and how to counsel or minister someone out of that. It's a legitimate form of um, therapy. And so recognizing that this isn't just like kind of hocus pocus versus science, but like there is a bridge here that people acknowledge even outside of religious traditions that they take from a religious tradition because they see they have seen firsthand the value of it when everything else has failed. So anyways, demonic activity, oppression, that is the um, most common one. Um, Any kind of depression where a person is filled with anxiety, despair, despondency, um, there's a sense of darkness around them, a sense of, um, I've sometimes heard addiction um, categorized as a form of oppression or obsession, which is one of the other categories. Um, Anytime, you know, you, you wake up in the middle of the night feeling like there's something there, there's something at the foot of your bed, there's something taunting you, something following you, the hair standing up on the back of your neck, um, you feel like there's some type of dark or um, malicious presence with you, 
you know, in a room or something like that. Um, that's could be characterized as oppression. I should tell you, it is about 10 o'clock at night and I'm recording this alone in a room and <laughs> it is very interesting to be talking about <laughs> demonic activity at this hour. Um, so pray for me, um, cause prayer is timeless and it can travel back through time and I would really appreciate that. Um, but Jesus is good. Jesus is one. So there's nothing to fear. Um, so that's oppression. And that's, I think, the most common thing that people experience. Another one that I think people experience commonly is obsession. And this is when someone becomes uh, overcome or obsessed with the idea of Satan being in their life. And that may seem kind of rare to you. But I think with the the uh, prevalence of occultish practices like magic, tarot cards, uh, fortune telling, seances, consulting mediums, Ouija boards, all those different things like using yoga as a prayer practice, which comes from like ancient, um, you know, um, Hindu, Buddhist, paganistic, you know, practices and words that actually every position is associated with a certain prayer and a certain deity. If people don't know that, if they're not aware of it, or if they're saying the names of these like traditional yoga postures, they're invoking spiritual realities or things that represent spiritual realities. And an evil spirit is not going to say like, well, they don't know what they're saying. Like, like I said, they're very legalistic. And so if you give them that open door, there is an opportunity there. And so I'm not going to be one of those people that sits here and say that all yoga is bad because people who use it for, you know, positive Christian meditation for stretching, that's one thing. But you have to be aware of still even those physical postures in traditional yoga do have a association with certain deities, certain words, spells, rituals like that were part of ancient paganistic or maybe even, you know, satanic-ish religions, like very like naturalistic or, you know, um, associated with things that might cause evil or dark spirits to be associated um, or attached to you if you practice them in that same way or you're not aware enough of, of what you're doing. So that's why these things are becoming more of a reality because of the the popularity of like occultish practices. Um, so in, in this case, you know, a person and same thing with oppression, a person can function to where you wouldn't necessarily be able to see that anything demonic or anything bad is going on unless they reveal something to you in both of these cases. Um something to be aware of. Um, and that's why we wouldn't characterize it as something as like, as extreme as, um, like possession. Um, another form of demonic manifestation is infestation. This one I've heard about a lot less frequently, but I, I do know that it has happened. Um, at least in my experience, I've experienced it happen. Um, it, this infestation refers to, refers to a thing, an object or a place. So for instance, like, a. a a demon or some type of evil spirit attaching itself to a house or to, um, you know, an object that was used in a satanic ritual or a place where a satanic cult used to practice or, or do, um, you know, their rituals or their black masses or something. Something can be attached to that place because of the great evil that happened there or the doorway that was constantly open to the darkness of the spiritual realm, like constantly being, um, open in that place can create a greater connection or sensitivity to evil being present there. Um, so those are the ways that are more common. So oppression, then obsession, then infestation. And then the most extreme, the most rare is possession. Now it's important to note 
like possession is real a you know if you didn't know that like the movie the exorcist is based on a real account um you know the exorcism emily rose based on a real account i think it was just um a young man actually instead of a, a young girl in the in the real life version um and every single diocese catholic diocese in the world has a priest that is the designated exorcist of that diocese at every single baptism that is done even on infants there is a prayer of exorcism that is said at every single in every single process of RCIA when the RCIA candidates who are becoming catholic during lent they go through three sundays of scrutinies there are exorcisms and prayers of exorcism that happen um, this is a reality that we are surrounded with and so if you think like oh yeah an exorcism is a very rare thing we're praying against the ne- the need for exorcism constantly and praying minor prayers of exorcism all the time in our church in different rituals um and so that's an important distinction to make too. There is a minor prayer of exorcism that can be prayed. I've had a minor prayer of exorcism actually prayed over me. And it's more of one of those prayers that you can use to just kind of reject spiritual warfare. Um, but a actual rite of exorcism is reserved to someone who is experiencing demonic possession. And there is a process by which that is determined if someone is. There are certain qualities that someone will exhibit if they are um, seemingly uh, possessed. Um, but it, it's something tricky to determine because you have to kind of be able to navigate um, what kind of control this person has. So like a, a, a demon can't control your soul. Can't. A demon can control your body, but your free will is kind of tricky because your will, it has to do with your soul and your conscience, but it's exercised through your bodily actions. And so there is kind of like this, this wrestling there and you can see that sense of wrestling in someone who is possessed like there is an internal tension that just exists in their eyes um when a person's possessed um their their will can be compromised um their ability to function normally is limited um but even in some possessions people you they may seem off but they won't be like you know go walking down the street and you would immediately be able to point out like that person's possessed. It's really interesting. Like in some cases how this happens, um, it only comes out, um, normally when, um, that person who is potentially possessed is exposed to something sacred. Um, there's something, um, even kind of on another level of possession, which is called integration. This actually isn't talked about that much. And this is basically a possession that someone willfully, voluntarily accepts like possession is involuntary like a demon possesses someone's body without their full permission they maybe just gave them a window or a door or exposed to something demonic and didn't have the proper you know way to be protected from it whatever that may be Um, but integration is like a person who is satanic or trying to make a, a pact or bond with satan actually welcoming a demon or satan into their body and that can be very dangerous because now the wills are aligned of these two evil choices and um however the signs that they exhibit um can be very similar um so some the classic signs are rolling of the eyes um Usually when it comes to mentioning or exposing them to something sacred, like a crucifix, holy water, being in a church, um, someone was to walk into a church or something like that, um, they, they won't be able to stand to look at the crucifix. Um, or if they walk into a church, they can only stay um, with great difficulty um, or they can't even stay, um, especially because of the presence of the Eucharist or a crucifix or another sacramental, a statue of the Blessed Mother or something like that. Um, they can also show that they have um, knowledge of, of things that are hidden, like almost an ability to kind of um, 
because demons are fallen angels and angels have a heightened intellect, they can't read our minds, but they're incredibly um, observant, incredibly um, intelligent. And so demons still have that same quality. And so they may seem to know things that they couldn't have known any other way. And that can be manifesting in this person that is possessed. Um, another way would be able to, if they can speak a language that they didn't have any competency in, um, if um, this would normally probably happen during an actual prayer, trying to you know exercise the demon, the demon would try and respond back in a language that the person did not know. Um, typically in Latin, because a lot of the prayers that are happening in the rite of exorcism are all in Latin. Um, someone has inordinate strength. Um, there have even been accounts of people levitating, um, people doing supernatural things, um, having very extreme facial contortions, almost as if the bones or the structure of the face is shifting. Um, they can, you know, look almost reptilian or snake-like. Snake -like. Um, so, like, the, you know, that control over the body, it can do damage. Um, and so it's just something to, to, to be aware of, like, these things um, that are happening. And they still happen. And they happen all, more frequently in other parts of the world that are still exposed to a lot of occultish practices, pagan religion, voodoo. This happens a lot in Haiti. If you ever talk to priests from Haiti, like they'll tell you all about, you know, demonic activity. Um, and so this reality, the demonic realm versus the angelic realm, this is where spiritual warfare happens. Um, and so, as I said, it can happen most frequently in people's lives. Um, A, because they're doing something that's associated with the occult. Um, a lot of, there've been a lot of accounts with little kids playing with Ouija boards, not knowing what they were doing. Um, I remember an account of a little boy um, asking his mom, mom, who's Beelzebub? Um, because he was playing with a Ouija board, you know, serious stuff. Tarot cards, um, black magic, trying to like place curses on other people or, you know, learn these kind of like ancient, I was fascinated with a lot of this stuff when I was younger. I used to love palm reading, um, fortune telling tactics. I had a pack of tarot cards, then I would do tarot card readings for friends, like before I was really, um, involved in the church or practicing my faith at all. Um, and these things, they can expose you to a lot of darkness. This can also be, um, amplified or the door opened to this through something like extreme childhood trauma or abuse. Um, that can be a way that demonic activity can, can manifest because that person is more spiritually vulnerable to, um, things that are very dark, um, things that are addictive behaviors, especially like pornography, drugs, alcohol. Um, you know, that's another way that this can manifest because it's a way that our will, our reason, our ability to, um, be disciplined against evil things can kind of be, um, what is it? Limited. Um, it can be, uh, limited, um, when you, you're uninhibited. That's the word I was trying to think of. Um, so your inhibitions can, can be kind of thrown to the wind when those things happen and you're more likely, um, to be susceptible to things like this. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things I just mentioned are going to lead straight to your possession. I don't want you to be walking around in the world being afraid of being possessed. Um, but what I want to do is to give you some tools that if you feel like you're experiencing darkness, some sense of demonic activity or spiritual warfare in your life, how to respond to it. How do we do that? Um, so, I'm reading one of my notes that I'm debating mentioning, but no, okay, not important. So, Here's what you do. First of all, frequent the sacraments. If you want to avoid this being a reality or something that happens in your life, like the more and more you are able to receive the Eucharist, the more and more that you go to confession and are able to kind of 
completely reject the weight of the sin that is on your soul um, and the effect of it, you know, and how the devil might be trying to whisper in your ear, like, you're not worth it. You're not good enough. Look at all the things that you've done. Why don't you just keep doing it? Like, those are all lies that the devil is and his demons are trying to tell you on a daily basis. Um, if you've never read the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, I would highly encourage you to read it. It's not a very long read, but it's a... Um, a story, a characterization about um, a demon training another demon on how to tempt humans. Um, and so screw tape is the name of one of these demons. And it's these letters between, you know, screw tape, you know, and this other demon about how to tempt humans. And um, you can kind of get a, a, a window into what we know about how demons work and the ways in which people are, are very easily tempted. Um, and when you cling to the sacraments and sacramentals, which are like blessed objects. Um, those are things that can really help equip you against evil and, and, um, things that are dark. So, so the rosary, having a rosary, praying the rosary often, um, most exorcists will say that Mary is the person that the devil hates the most because she was a human and the devil was most averse to God's plan for humanity. He hated the idea that God was going to give these humans this create this whole universe created for them that he was going to give them a body and a soul and this free will to choose him and all of this and and that he was going to love them as his like crown of creation. Um and the, and you know the demon and the fallen angels uh, Satan and the fallen angels were like, you know, what the heck? What about us? We're angels. We're awesome, you know. Paraphrasing obviously things that I never know how the conversation actually went, but, um, you know, you get the idea. So because Mary is sinless, she never fell prey to anything that the devil could try and offer. Um, he hates her the most. And then St. Joseph being her protector, her husband, and the, the foster father of Jesus is one of his nicknames is the terror of demons. Um, and so like, that's awesome. And so like invoking the Holy family, um, you know, praying the hail Mary, um, having a devotion to Mary, those are all things that like exorcists say are very important and very crucial in rites of exorcism. Like, you know, having a statue of the blessed mother, um, praying the hail Mary, like that, that demons really don't like that, you know? Um, and so the rosary being so wounding to them, um, having holy water where if you've never had someone come bless your house, you know, ask a priest to come bless your house. Um, they do that all the time. They do house blessings all the time. They'll sprinkle holy water. They'll pray some prayers. Um, and it's so funny. Every time I've moved to a new place, it doesn't feel evil or like anything bad is happening. But after a house blessing happens, I instantly feel more comfortable, more at home, more safe in that house. It's just like there's this air of peace and protection around that place. Um, and so having holy water around where you can, um, you know, be blessing yourself and, um, in any time of doubt, you know, we do that when we enter the church, when we leave the church, primarily to be reminded of the sanctification of our baptism and our freedom from darkness and evil. Um, that's something that we can do on a daily basis. Wearing a scapular, um, you know, that's a, a constant reminder and protection for, revealed to us by Our Lady of Mount Carmel, that um, apparition of Mary about that protection against evil and against the, the fires of hell. Um, I'm going to talk about the Benedictine medal and cross um, a little bit um, at, toward the end, so, but that's one that you can do. Um, I wear a big Benedictine cross um, with a Benedictine medal right in the middle of it. Um, avoiding the near occasion of sin. This is something we always say in confession, you know, in the act of contrition, I promise to avoid the near occasion of sin or the people, places, and things that cause me to sin. If you're going to be exposed to temptation, to an addictive behavior, to something that might lead you down a dark path, um, don't go down that path. Don't let that happen. 
I've had priests say very funny but very poignant things to me in confessions, um, you know, or to other people I know in confessions about this that I've been given permission to reveal. Um, one of them was um, a priest, you know, someone was confessing in confession about um, the te- the temptation to fall into premarital sexual relations with their partner. And so the priest said, well, would you ever have sex in front of five people? And the person was like, no, of course not. And he said, okay, we'll always be around five people that type of reality, like you're preventing the ability for that sin to happen. If you find you're most tempted when you're out drinking with friends at a bar, don't drink, you know, don't drink when you're out at a bar, always be the designated driver, only drink when you are um, with your trusted friends and there's no like potential love interest or someone you might want to flirt with or get closer to there. If that's something that's going to tempt you, Um, you know, I always tell um, young couples, especially teenagers who are dating, avoid dark horizontal situations. So you're never in a room alone together, especially if you're lying in a bed watching Netflix, because you know what's really going to happen. So making sure you're avoiding those places. Definitely avoid the occultist practices. Uh, I even don't watch like scarier demonic movies. Like I just don't want to open up myself to that type of thinking and that type of, you know, imagery in my mind. Um, I just I want to avoid that. Um, for my own sanity, but also just those different practices, especially like around Halloween time or in different things like that. Like a lot of them are kind of passed off as parlor tricks or fun gags and they can, they can expose you to things that are very dangerous. They can pique your curiosity and that demonic obsession can start to creep in and be like, Hmm, I wonder if there's anything legitimate about this because of that horoscope. A horoscope is another way that that can happen. Um, they're all They're all made up. They're all fabricated. You could read a Sagittarius if you're a Leo and you could find a way for that to apply to your life. And the astrological sign you were born under is not actually the one you were born under because they categorized them and then they shifted in the sky. And so you're a different one anyway. There's no relation to that in your life whatsoever. Numerology, all those different things. They're all ways that your mind is trying to play psychological tricks on you to associate a number or a sign or a pattern with your life to kind of get you to buy a product or get you to believe in this, you know? And so avoiding those things and knowing like, okay, it's, it's just God, like God and my discernment, my relationship with him. That's my source of knowing what I need in my life. I don't need a little quick fix horoscope app to make me feel better about my day. Like that's just exposing me to outside influences and that can prone, make me more prone to be exposed to things that might be harmful for me. Um, as I said, the minor prayer of exorcism that has to be prayed by a priest. Only priests can do those things. Um, getting spiritual direction or talking to a priest. If you feel like there's something like this going on in your life. Um, and or finding someone who has a chari- the charism of discernment of spirits. I know this isn't something that like people wear as a name tag, but you might have a sense for someone in your life that has a kind of a very innate ability to read people and tell them things about themselves or interpret things about people without knowing a lot about them because they have a sense or sensitivity toward the spiritual side of things. Um, talking to that person and and they're going to be more inclined to be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, let's talk about that. They're not going to kind of look at you like, what the heck are you saying? Like, that's crazy voodoo stuff, you know, finding the right people to talk to. Um, And then deliverance prayer. Um, Deliverance prayer is something that anyone can do. I would caution you to say that you have to be physically, spiritually protecting yourself in these moments. And you're not doing this ever as a sign like I am driving out demons like an exorcist. But if you ever have a sense that there's just some type of darkness on you or someone else, a simple deliverance prayer would be invoking the name of Jesus, not your own name, not your own power, not your own ability, but Jesus 
to cast out whatever that darkness is. So here's an example prayer. And I invite you, if you're listening to this and you feel like you're experiencing any type of darkness, I invite you to let this prayer be over you as well. Lord, I pray that in your name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would cast out any darkness that is present here in this place and that you would drive it out again in your name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I rebuke Satan in your name, Jesus. Amen. All of those sections or that whole prayer is a deliverance prayer. Every single moment I can, I'm invoking the name of Jesus. It's not anything I'm doing. I'm asking it to be done by the power in the name of Jesus. That's something that you can do. And so simply saying the name Jesus out loud can be a deliverance prayer in those moments, if that's all you can muster. Or saying, be gone, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Be gone in the name of Jesus. Um, I always encourage people, because of the legalistic nature of demons, to say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, But even that name of Jesus, it strikes fear into the hearts of demons. Um, So something to be aware of. So, um, and then lastly... Um, the Benedictine medal and cross. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this because our saint this episode is Saint Benedict. But before we talk about him, I want to um, leave you with some wisdom from some of the saints um, and a couple more tips on how to avoid spiritual warfare. Um, I found this in a blog, um, three things that you can do to avoid spiritual warfare. And I thought they were really good is to number one, define the enemy. And so whether the enemy, if you're recognizing this is something dark, this is something that's not of me or something particular about what you're doing, this is an addiction, this is pornography that's invading my life, this is, um, I'm too obsessed with this occultish practice, Um, whatever it is, naming it, naming the enemy. And then the second one is determining the desires of the enemy. So how would the devil use this? How is the devil trying to use this to get you to do something evil, something wrong. And then the third thing is do the opposite. Simple enough, right? Recognize that evil is existing. Name it. Darkness is there. Name it. Name what its desire is for you and do the opposite. I saw that was a really practical and simple way to look at it. So here's what some of the saints um, and some um, prominent religious figures like Pope Francis. I don't know if you've heard of him. Pope Francis said this, the presence of the devil is on the first page of the Bible and the Bible ends as well with the presence of the devil, with the victory of God over the devil. I like how he ended with that. It's so important to remember in these moments that this isn't something to be afraid of, to be scared of, but to recognize the victory is won in Jesus Christ. And if we're clothing ourselves in that faith, that righteousness on a daily basis, we have nothing to fear. Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul II said this, he who does not believe in the devil does not believe in the gospel. This is a reality. There's so many people who don't believe about the existence of the devil, and that's exactly what the devil wants. And lastly, this is beyond one of my favorite saint quotes of all time. It's a little lengthy, but it is like such a mic drop moment. Um, This is from St. Therese of Lisieux. She says, this is her recounting a dream. In a dream I had as a child, I saw two hideous little devils dancing with surprising agility in spite of the heavy irons attached to their feet. At first, they cast fiery glances at me. Then, as though suddenly terrified, they threw themselves down, only to run and hide themselves in the laundry. Overcoming my fears, I went to the window. The wretched little creatures were there, running about, not knowing how to hide themselves from my gaze. From time to time, they came nearer, peering through the windows with an uneasy air. Then, seeing that I was still there, they began to run about again, looking quite desperate. Of course, this dream was nothing extraordinary. 
Yet I think our Lord made use of it to show me that a soul in the state of grace has nothing to fear from the devil, who is a coward and will even fly from the gaze of a little child. Boom. Take that, Satan. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was so awesome. So our saint this episode is Saint Benedict. And I'm not going to talk a lot about him because I've already gone on for a while. I hope all that information about angels and demons was beneficial because I find it super interesting. Um, but the great thing about Saint Benedict, Saint Benedict um, lived at a very early time in the church, um, also called Saint Benedict of Nursia. And his twin sister, Scholastica, is also a saint. So imagine twin uh, twins who are saints. Um, this makes me think of um, Daniel and Sophia Ortega, if you're out there at college listening to this. Shout out to both of you. Shout outs number 22 and 23. I'll let you choose whose was whose. Um, you could be the next twin saints. Just think about that. You're on your way there because you're both awesome. Anyways, um, St. Benedict was born in 480 and he um, was one of the people who started the monastic system, the, the um, system where people gathered in religious communities. And the reason he did that was um, he got his education in, um, I believe, in Rome and he, he had access to a lot of um, kind of pleasurable practices there. He was kind of afforded every expense and that really started to scare him. And so he kind of lived a life as a hermit for a while. Um, and during that time as a hermit, the devil came to him and, um, presented to his imagination, a beautiful, tempting woman. And I mentioned this in the, um, in one of the quotes in the lust episode that we did recently, uh, St. Benedict, he resisted this by rolling his body in a thorn bush until it was covered in scrapes. And he said that through these bodily wounds, he cured the wounds of his soul. And so from that point forward, um, people started to recognize his holiness and they wanted him to kind of be the leader of their different communities. Um, and so he would, um, and he would say like the, the first group that came to him, he was like, I'm going to be too strict for you. And they were like, no, please, please. And then he ended up being right and they tried to poison him. And so he ended up um, saying a prayer over his poison drink and the, the cup, it was in shattered. And so he wasn't actually poisoned. Um, but he kept doing this until finally, at this place called Monte Cassino, the first real monastery, um, he established there with all these communities that he gathered into one community, and his sister settled nearby and lived a religious life um, for herself. And so um, he established a rule, the Rule of St. Benedict, which you can go and buy. It's a short little booklet. You can still read it today. And it was their rule of life that every monastic and religious community has based theirs off of from that point forward. Um, similar type of rules, just maybe um, different emphasis on their, their daily life and their charisms and things. Um, but he was just a very disciplined individual and um, very um, saw the value in distancing himself from the pleasures of the world and from any way in which the devil might tempt him and had complete faith in the way that God was um, trying to provide or reveal himself. Um, you know, there's one story where someone, a neighbor um, to the monastery comes and asks for oil and Benedict, you know, wants to give him some, but one of the other monks was like, no, this is the last we have. And Benedict got so mad that he fell to his knees and prayed and the oil jug started to overflow. And he just had this like trust in God. Um, 
So he died not long after his twin sister. He died in um, March of 543. And he's considered one of the patron saints of students in Europe, but also the patron saint of exorcists. And it's because the St. Benedict Medal has um, become over time known as, um, it's sometimes called the Devil Chasing Medal. It's believed to have a great power against evil. And I'm wearing one right now on a Benedictine cross, and it has all this cool symbolism on it. Um, on the back is a picture of St. Benedict, and he's typically depicted holding um, a cross and a book, or like the Bible, um, and behind him is sometimes depicted that um, that broken chalice that he prayed over to not be poisoned. But surrounding him are um, all of these words and letters on a medal, if you have one in front of you or you ever see one, are um, Latin words or Latin abbreviations of Latin words. Um, and so on the back surrounding the picture of him, um, it says... Um, Oh, it's written in the traditional Latin, so it's written without its vowels. Um, this is going to be difficult. Let's see. It says, Eius in obitu nostro presentia muniamor. Yeah, test your Latin. Uh, meaning, may we be strengthened by his presence in the hour of our death. Um, so that's what it says around him. Um, and again, he's holding a cross. And actually, the book is his rule. It's, it's not the Bible. It's his rule that he wrote. And on the front, there are a ton of letters um, that are written here. So very big, you'll see the letters uh, C-S-M-B. Um, or sorry, C-S, what is that? P-B. Um, Cruz Sancti Patris Benedicti, which is the cross of our Holy Father Benedict, or the cross of um, our Father Benedict. And then... Um, you'll see on the cross, um, on the down, the downslope of the cross, um, C S S M. Oh, this last letter is hidden L, um, which is crux sacra sit mihi lux. May the Holy cross be my light. And then across M D S M D, um, non draco sit mihi dux. May the dragon never be my overlord or basically let the devil never be my leader. And then all around the sides um, are a bunch of letters, um, V-R-S-N-S-M-V-S-M-Q-L-I-V-B, which stands for Vade Retro Satana, Vade Retro Satana, Nunquam Suade Mihivana, Sunt Mala Quelibas, Ipse Venana Bibas. Begone, Satan, never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil, drink the poison yourself. And then the word pax is very small at the very top, which is the Latin word for peace. And so there's a lot, all of these are prayers that are actually prayed, I believe, in the rite of exorcism, or they're invoked um, in the rite of exorcism. Um, and so in some way, they're referenced there. And so it's a very powerful medal. There's actually a special blessing that's meant to be prayed over the St. Benedict Medal or the Benedictine Cross, um, that you can get a priest to pray that specific prayer to invest you with it. Um, but it's a great protection and reminder against the reality of evil, the reality of Satan, and those moments where spiritual warfare comes and you're tempted, um, or you're feeling oppressed, you're feeling like there's a sense of darkness, anxiety. Um, you know, it could even be happening in your sleep. We're, I was talking with someone about this this past week. Um, you know, you our subconscious works in different ways. And so maybe you process something or receive something in the daytime that your brain saw or your, your body, you know, just kind of hung on to. And at nighttime, your, your brain is trying to interpret it or it's wrestling with it or even being oppressed by it. Um, to just remember in all of those moments, A, you have a guardian angel. B, Jesus has already won. And C, surround yourself 
with the people, the practices, the sacraments, the sacramentals that are going to protect you and keep you disciplined from falling into occasions of evil, occasions of sin, occasions where you might be exposed to something dark or someone dark and to protect yourself against that and know that the victory has already been won for you in Jesus Christ. So St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us. St. Benedict of Nursia, pray for us. Please rate and review this podcast, share it with someone you think may benefit from it. I know it was a longer episode, so if you're able to stick around, I really appreciate it because this stuff is, I really got to nerd out on this episode and I'm really bummed that Jenna was here, was not here. Um, but if she had been, this probably would have turned to like a two hour episode. So it's probably a good, a good thing that, you know, God knew what he was doing. He just let me kind of nerd out and she's probably going to be like, you talked way too much about the choirs of angels. And I'd be like, well, you're right. So there we go. Support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month and you can get to all of our content. Email us all of that on our website, which is manafoodforthought.com. And you have links to all of our social media on that site as well to our Instagram, our Facebook page. Please share, like, follow, comment, email us, give us suggestions. We love hearing from you. Continue to give us feedback. And again, if you love this podcast, if it's touched your life in some way, please share it with a friend. Spread the word so that we can continue to glorify God in all that we do. To him be all the glory. We will see you in the Eucharist, and we are praying for you. God bless you guys.